Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hello, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back to another episode of The Other Human in the Room. Okay, this week I just wanted to do a little reflection on what I've been creating for myself in my medical practice. Um, So the way I want to talk about it is how I am, bit by bit, intentionally creating a practice of empowered patients. That um, has been my goal for some time now. Sort of gradually over the past year, I have been working on this and I'm seeing so many results already and I think I have so much more that I could do. And so I just wanted to share sort of this milestone, this um, you know, this this point in my journey um, in hopes that it will help others be inspired to consider doing the same. Um, whether you are a physician with your own like, you know, steady roster of patients or um, if you have a different role in the healthcare system, I, I think there are things here that can really apply. Um, essentially what I'm saying is about a year ago, a year ago and a few months ago, I started the process of intentionally changing my job from the inside out. So for me, it started with um, getting clear and um, building up my skills in sort of time management and paperwork efficiency and changing my relationship with like charting and inboxes and all of that stuff and, you know, time management. Um and then also really changing my relationship with myself and with um, how I viewed myself and um, what I and really understanding what it is that I offer as a physician to my patients and the value I bring, and um, really working deeply on the what I was bringing to each relationship with each patient. And I'm now sort of thinking more globally about how I run my practice, Um, you know, what do I delegate to my staff members and what don't I, you know, Um, how do I structure my schedule, how, um, what, what kind of services do I offer um, within my practice. And next week, actually, um, though it will have already happened by the time this podcast comes out, um, I'm taking another big step in this direction of really Um, creating an empowered patient practice, which is I'm hosting a virtual town hall for my patients. Um, I'm hopeful um, to release some clips of that um, on my social media. And so maybe you'll have already seen it by the time this podcast comes out. But um, I want to do this town hall because I want to create more direct lines of communication between me and my patients and my patients back with me. With the idea that, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the healthcare system is really in a rough state. That is my, you know, objective (laughs) assessment. (laughs) I guess it's a subjective assessment of how bad things are. I mean, 
I have all sorts of stories about, you know, no room in emergency rooms and um, things are starting to be sh- where I work in Ontario, Canada. They're starting to shuffle things around again. A lot of kids are getting sick now, and um, it means there's not enough, you know, doctors and staff, especially nurses, to take care of the sick kids. And that's never a great problem to not have enough people to take care of our children. So, you know, there's all these external factors that you could just turn off and feel so helpless about. But I just have an ethos now of being determined to never feel helpless um, because helpless is a feeling. And so I can choose not to think thoughts that allow me to feel helpless. Instead, I can say, what can I do? And so one thing I think that I can do is continue to care for my 1100 patients, my segment of this healthcare system. And um, so some of what I want to talk about on the town hall is like, Um, offering practical tips and advice and support and creating a dialogue with my patients who are parents on how can I best support you when it feels like things are kind of falling off the rails when you're really anxious and afraid for your kids how can I help support you with that so um, yeah so just to sort of describe how I how I perceive my practice now versus how I perceived it before. Like a lot of it probably from the outside looks the same. So I still work um, three full days a week. That's like, you know, I have three full days of clinic time that I offer to my patients. Um, That is not the only amount of time I work though, of course. Like on my other two days, I do um, clinical work that's not patient facing, like paperwork in the end, as well as a lot of my system change leadership work. And then of course, this new coaching and education work that I do. So certainly I work full time in all of those roles. Um, In my clinic, you know, uh, one thing that's true comparing to over a year ago versus now is I actually see more patients, like I have shorter appointments and see and I'm able to see more patients per day than I was a year ago, in part because of my time management and mind management and emotional management work that I've done on myself. So I've found ways to be more efficient on my end of things and say um, how quickly I chart and um, how I process my inbox. And I've also become more um, deft and efficient in each patient encounter in um, really cleaning up my side of what's happening in that clinical room. So instead of bringing a bunch of my own agendas and my own emotional stuff, I'm able to hold a cleaner space for them to share their problem with me. And uh, then I let them know what I can and can't help them with. I am uh, better at staying on time. Um, uh, and so through that process, then I'm able to see more people. Um, I'm noticing more and more that patients are 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 having uh, more powerful results. Not every single patient, it looks the same, but I'm just noticing the wins that I'm seeing, especially my patients. Like I have, you know, a crew of patients that I see about monthly and um, a lot of them are mental health, other kind of chronic symptoms as well, like chronic pain and other chronic symptoms that, you know, um, we, we haven't found the very fast solution that we found for say strep throat in a, in a pill that makes it go away. Um, and I'm noticing that as I'm shifting my approach to them and in, in taking on a more empowering and coaching style approach with them, they are coming to me and saying that they're seeing um, improvements and changes in their life that are just so, so exciting. Um, and so as a result, 
you know, I am managing my emotional and mental experience. And that's so powerful. I'm managing outwardly, both like my time as well as like how I, how I speak and work with my team in ways that feel better to me. And with each patient, I am offering them like a slightly different and sometimes a radically different approach in terms of um, how I speak with them, how, you know, what I'm doing when we get to say the management plan. Um, I'm no longer telling them this is what you have to do, but it's really a co-creation of a management plan. And as a result, so I, I literally have more time for myself doing all of this. Like I have my evenings to myself to do what I want. I, I am taking on other exciting projects like, you know, doing this podcast and everything as a result. Um, so like I've literally created more time for myself in this process. Um, I have such deeper joy and satisfaction every single day with my patients. I feel like genuine, like love and care for my patients at a much higher frequency than I used to. Um, and the patients didn't change. I changed, you know, I, I shifted my approach. I shifted my intentions and I, and I learned how to process and manage my own mental blocks and my own emotional, um, build up. And as a result, I was no longer like projecting things onto them that left me feeling exhausted and drained and resentful. That's been huge. I like really like my patients, including like the ones that I found super challenging before. I'm still a human and I still have sort of the old echoes of patterns that make parts of those encounters still more charged. Um, but I know that it is my work to continue to uh, take on each of those small hiccups as they come up in the room with a patient. So if I'm feeling like that resentment coming back up or that defensiveness coming back up, I now know what's going on and that it's not about the patient, but it's about me. And as a result, I view it as this invitation to just like continue to get to know myself better. And my, I feel grateful actually to my patient for the opportunity of, you know, teaching me, not consciously, but teaching me a, a, a way to deepen my capacity to love and care for myself and others. Um, I still experience all the negative emotions or negative is, I don't even believe that it's negative anymore. The uncomfortable emotions, I still feel anxiety, feel, still feel shame. I still feel all the things, but it's genuinely less than it used to be. Um, and when I feel them, I no longer think of them as negative, <laughs> you know, like I'll go, you know, I'll go through a stormy cloud of a, a rougher day and I'll be like, oh, here I am. This is hard again. What's going on? And then, you know, eventually the awareness will come back and I'm like, right, what's going on is there's some inhuman story that I'm getting stuck on. You know, I sit down, I do some reflection or I get some coaching from a coach or, you know, whatever. And I, and I unpack it and I'm like, right, all that's happened is I've been telling myself a story that's causing emotions that feel yucky. I know how to listen to my emotions and my body. I know how to question and reframe the stories I'm telling myself. I can reclaim the meaning of this past day. It doesn't have to just be a bad day forever. You know, so I have all these skills now that really allow me to enjoy my job in, in a way that I never even knew was possible. Um, and it includes really like, creating the kind of medicine that 
I want to practice creating the kind of medicine that I want to practice that's in line with my values and what I'm learning and, and what I'm unpacking. Like over the past few weeks on the podcast, you've heard a couple really major shifts that I've learned about in terms of ways I can speak to my patient about chronic pain, ways I can speak to my patient about weight and some of the stigma and false messages we've that I've learned in my training about those topics. And it goes beyond that, like ways that I was taught to think about emotions and that I needed to fix my own emotions and the emotions of my patients and that the only option was medication or whatever. I, I've changed so much of my understanding and I've learned so much about those. And because I've done the work myself, I don't feel stuck in the dogma of what I was taught originally. I am able to evolve what I've learned build on it, let go of what just never resonated to me, um, and really focus on creating how I'm practicing medicine. And not, I have the edges of feeling like, oh, am I going to get in trouble? Does oh, this mean I'm, you know, not providing standard of care or something? But when I look at it, I just know that that's not true. I know that at, at the core, I'm still assessing my patients, considering what may be going on in their bodies and their brains, offering them a variety of managements, including all of the things I was trained to do, like medication and whatever, um, but as well as offering them insights into their own body, their own mind, and empowering them to come up with their own best management plan. That last piece is so huge. The the relief I have of no longer feeling like it's my responsibility to make my patients well. I just want to like do a deep sigh thinking about that. I had so much shame about that before. I would, you know, get my, we get these like practice reports that I think are like well-intended where it's like, hey, here's your it's like the government gives us this report that's like, here's your anonymized patient data that shows you very interesting things like the age distribution of my practice and their socioeconomic status, like really interesting things. But then it's also like, here's the percentage of your patients who are on chronic pain medication. Here's the percentage of your patients whose diabetes um, numbers are above the threshold. And I used to use that kind of information to just like, as evidence that I was a terrible doctor but like, I don't have control over people's hemoglobin A1Cs. I think it's just really important to name that and like releasing that, knowing that's information about someone's diabetes that is useful information to start a conversation with them and explore what their goals are for themselves. Understanding that if I am there as a coach and support and cheerleader for their goals, help them maybe, you know, see past a couple barriers so that they can take different action in their own life. Eventually, probably the A1C will come down. And even if the A1C never comes down, but they are taking action in terms of health behaviors that feel good for their body. They've found ways to feel less stressed. They found ways to seek deeper connection with their loved ones. That matters more. That matters more to me, That, in part because it matters more to them. And in, and I think actually the science shows that that matters more even to their general health. Someone's A1C can be perfect, but 
they're stressed out of their minds and they never move their body and they hate their life and they're super lonely and like all of those things there are studies showing that those are poor health outcomes too right <laughs> and and at the end of the day what if there are my actual goal for each of my patients is to offer them avenues in which they can feel good about the life they live as long as they live it you know that is such a I just love that as an intention of what I want to offer to my patients so much more than feeling like I have to tell them you're not healthy, you don't have a good enough blood pressure, you know, and and just offering these like guilt and shame based messages that, you know, listen, if you're offering, this is how we were trained, we're supposed to be like the principal and they're the student, we're supposed to wag our finger at them and say, take better care of your health. And they go, okay, I'm sorry. Are you mad at me this month? Like, no, thank you. Not anymore for me. Not for me. I don't want that role anymore. I don't, I don't think it is effective. I mean, I think the, the science of like psychological behavior change shows that it's not effective to like be the principal for your patients. Um, no offense to principals. I'm using like a character, char- you know, caricature of principals. I don't know why a principal would be listening to this, but I, I think you know what I mean. Like the whole, the old like paternalistic way of thinking of like, I know the answers because I'm the doctor, you're the patient, you listen to me, I, I know everything and you know nothing. Um, I just don't want to do that that anymore. And I feel like there was this other sneakily still paternalistic way that especially if you're socialized female and, and, and you have a lot of like the baggage of like codependency, people pleasing stuff where it's like so patient centered that you just do whatever your patient says. They they're like, I just want you to order me these tests. I just want you to do these things for me. And now you're like serving the patient as if they are the boss and you are you know, the employee. Um, and, uh, I think that that dynamic is still not, not equal in the room, right? When really, yes, I have some, I do have, um, sort of institutional power. I have, I am the gateway, um, through which they can access tasks that they couldn't otherwise. And so there's, it's important to acknowledge the power I have in the room. And it's really important to acknowledge to myself and them, the power they have in the room. And actually, that I think is the key. When I talk about having an empowered patient practice, it's me owning my power, first of all, as like a human being who always gets to say yes or no, as someone who has tons of training and knowledge and like really valuing that for myself, even if a certain patient isn't interested in the knowledge I have to share, I can still knowledge and own that as power I have for myself. All my skills, all my experience, that is mine to own and embody as well as that institutional power that I was talking about and being very mindful of it and using it with care and precision of when I pull out the, listen, I'm the doctor, you know, I'm not going to prescribe you this or else it would, it's like against the ethics of medicine, you know, like when I pull that out or not. And all of that is actually on my side of the room for me to own. Meanwhile, on the patient's side, it is part of my job to offer back to them and acknowledge really that I never had control over the things that they own in terms of their power. So they they have always and will always be fully the one who has the power to make to make change in their life in the sense that no one else can take different actions for them. They are also the one with all the power of their lived experience, including like 
a lot of times like knowledge and skills as well about them personally or about their context, their culture, their workplace. Like a classic example of this is um, someone's been off of work and they're, they're returning to work. I used to feel so much guilt and pressure that I didn't know like I would try and guess like a good plan for them to return to work, but I've like literally never worked their job. I have no idea really what would be best for them in terms of how they return to work. So now it is, I ask them, I'm like patient, my beloved, my beloved patient, considering the job you do and considering how your body feels now, tell me what you think would make sense for you so that you can kind of, do you think it would make more sense to gradually return? Does it make more sense for your job to do it, you know, graduated by hours or graduated by duties or a combination? And we have a conversation about it because they are the content experts about their job, period. I am not, they are right? And it's such a relief to just like actually consult them as the contact expert of that and not feel like I'm supposed to know the answers. How the heck would I know the answers to that, right? And same with, you know, I I really think, you know, I'm offering in terms of any management plan, there's all this like pressure of guidelines. I'm going to use the diabetes example again, because it gets my goat because you know, there's a whole thing about diabetes guidelines. So it's like guidelines say they're supposed to be on the three different kinds of medication and this is their targets and all this stuff, right? Meanwhile, real world, this is a human being who has a whole life and they have beliefs and values. They, one of their beliefs and values may be, I never want to take medication. And so if it's a never, it's a never. We can explore the reasons why. We can talk about how this belief could get in the way of other goals, for example, you know, how they view your their health, how they view their life. Is is this something that, you know, okay, I hear you saying if I take no medications and my illness, my diabetes continues on this course, it will, it is a high chance of really significantly shortening my life. Okay, maybe I will take one medicine, which medicine feels like it's the highest impact. Or, you know, another person's like, um, I want to be on all the medications. I want to make sure I'm on every single, I will take every single pill to completely lower my risk of anything happening to me. And and I'll listen to that too, right? Like, and I would have completely different approaches for those two patients. And that would be correct, in my opinion. That That is how I have empowered patient practice because they know I am not doing like the same cookie cutter stamp for each person. They know I have heard them. I know them. I understand them. And the things I don't know or understand, they can tell me and I will learn more over time about them, you know, and through that process, they get the care they need for their particular self. Um, I am dreaming of how I can take this further, like this town hall I'm doing, you know, I want to ask them questions like, I know that access to appointments is still a struggle because there's so much going on. Like, what do you guys think about group appointments? Would you be interested in that? Do you have other ideas of how you could access my care? And I get to say yes or no to those ideas, of course. I want to ask them, I'm not sure I'm going to do it this town hall or not, but I really want to ask them as well as my staff and kind of everyone, like a better way to do forms and and flow forms through an office. This may be really inside baseball (laughs) if you don't have to do forms as part of your work, but there's, there's certain chunks of the work that I think all of us do where we're kind of like, this feels like I'm spending more time 
then I'm offering value. Is there a way we could get streamlined about this so the person gets the checkbox they need, but it's not taking up all these resources and forms like, you know, disability forms, that kind of thing is one of those areas where I'm like, is this the highest, best use of my time? I, I know it's important. It's a, a way I can, off, you know, I can uh, be a facilitator for patients to get um, income they need when they can't work. But like, versus my skills as actually assessing and treating, I'm just curious if there's a way to do it where I'm delegating more. And so that's something I'm evolving in my practice. And one of the places I'm going to ask is my patients, what would you be willing to do to get your forms back faster? right? Would you be willing to do more work in this way or that way? Would you be willing to not see me, but me say one of my staff members who may have more time to do a more thorough job asking you the questions that are needed for this form? Would you be willing to do those things? You know, and, and asking it in that way where then it's like a dialogue. So these are some of the things that I'm up to in my practice. This is the kind of work I want to do. I, I'm really dreaming of ways where like there could be some day where like really patients genuinely get the care they need when they need it. They get care that they want that I'm able to offer them and they understand and have an open dialogue with me. If I am saying no, they want me to do something and I'm saying no, and they're allowed to have all their feelings about it. I'm not saying all my patients are going to be in love with me because they're all humans with their own brains, right? Like that's not what's on the menu as a possibility, but I think if I'm offering a consistent message of respect and empowerment to them, I think that changes the way my hypothesis and what's been apparent to me so far is it it is already changing the way that patients respond to me back. And I think that is so powerful to know. So yeah, I think, is that all I want to say? I think that's sort of my, I just wanted to share what's happening in my, in my world. Cause I talk a lot about, well, I talk a lot about personal stories, of course, but like I talk a lot, I, so far I've talked a lot about sort of themes of, of what can apply to anyone, but I, I wanted to show you some of what is possible. Um, and when you apply a lot of the concepts that I've been talking on the podcast and a lot of the concepts that I cover in my coaching and in, and in my workshops, if you apply them to your life, you can end up creating, you know, customizing your work and healthcare. I think that's true. You say you have a job where you're employed by someone else and they have like a job description for you. And you may think, okay, well, this doesn't apply because someone else has told me how to spend my time. Like even just double check those sort of assumptions. Cause like, especially in healthcare, but I think in a lot of jobs, like if you're getting the work done, how you get the work done can have a lot more flexibility, right? Some workplaces are really rigid, but say, for example, like my staff, say my, one of my nurses or my manager or my friend staff, if they came to me and it's like, okay, you need us to get this work done every day. We've thought of a new way where we could do it. Well, that'll leave us, you know, more time for other things. I'd be like, yes, that's amazing. Like, I don't need them to be like, you must, you know, do this job from 10 a.m. to 10.30. No, like the work, it's about the work we have to do, not how we do it. And so a lot of what I am considering now is rethinking how, what is the work that is mine to do and how I do it, you know? And so, and one core piece of that has been shifting my relationship with my patients. 
offering them back what was never mine to own, their feelings, their thoughts, their thoughts about me, their thoughts about the healthcare system, their expectations, and certainly their actions and their results were never mine to own. I never could own them. They were in their bodies. It's them being their human being selves. And now my relationship with them is so much clearer and I can just choose what I want to think about each of them. And I usually choose love and care and curiosity and then and just like interest in hearing about their story. And even if they're really upset, directed at me because I'm not giving them what they're hoping for, I can still have so much love and care. As I say, like, I know it, it's really hard when you don't get what you want and I wish this was something that I could give you in a way that was in line with my values or like, I wish I could give this to you. It's literally not possible. Like whatever reason I'm saying no to it, I'm able to hold that so much cleaner and still care for them and still find things I like about them because I have done my work about it. So yeah, that's where I'm at. And by the way, that's the reason that this fall I've been focusing my group coaching on transforming my relationships with patients. It's because it's been the deepest work that I've been doing this past year. So I feel good about sharing it with all of you. And if you're just finding me or you've been listening to the podcast, but you haven't come to any of my workshops or anything yet, um, this next one that's coming up November 17th, uh, 2022, so that's if you're listening after that date, I am sorry you've missed it. Check out what I'm offering now. It'll be something. Um, but it's all about um, empowering reluctant patients is the way I said it. But really, it's about empowering all of our patients. And a lot of what I've talked about here, I'm going to talk about in a workshop format where the whole hour is to invite you to reflect on, you know, your current relationship now and and review some of the reasons why it feels hard to empower your patients now because of our social conditioning and the inhuman stories we've been taught that we're supposed to be in charge of people's feelings, thoughts, and actions. And then getting really practical about like the practical ways, some of the scripts I use, some of like the frameworks I think about going into my encounters that allow me to hold a clean space is one of the ways I put it. Like just like where I get to have an open mind and open listening so that I'm able to empower my patients. It's a specific skill set. It's something you can learn. It's not like a personality thing. Like I literally didn't have this a year and a half ago. I had elements of it because as humans, we all have elements of compassion and care and listening, but it's so much easier to listen, question, respond, and and share that power and co-create healthcare with my patients because of these specific skills that I've learned. And I would love to teach them to you. So if it's before, if it's even if it is November 17th, as long as it's before 8 p.m. Eastern time, please come. I would love to have you there. And um, and then afterwards, if you're starting to see those results in your patients, I would love to hear what's been shifting in your practice now that you're shifting your relationship with your patients. That's it for me this week. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Hello, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back to another episode of The Other Human in the Room. Okay, this week I just wanted to do a little reflection on what I've been creating for myself in my medical practice. Um, So the way I want to talk about it is how I am 
bit by bit, intentionally creating a practice of empowered patience. That um, has been my goal for some time now, sort of gradually over the past year, I have been working on this and I'm seeing so many results already and I think I have so much more that I could do. And so I just wanted to share sort of this milestone, this, um, you know, this, this point in my journey um, in hopes that it will help others be inspired to consider doing the same. Um, whether you are a physician with your own, like, you know, steady roster of patients, or um, if you have a different role in the healthcare system, I, I think there are things here that can really apply. Um, essentially, what I'm saying is about a year ago, a year ago and a few months ago, I started the process of intentionally changing my job from the inside out. So for me, it started with. Um, getting clear and um, building up my skills in sort of time management and paperwork efficiency and changing my relationship with like charting and inboxes and all of that stuff and, you know, time management. Um, And then also really changing my relationship with myself and with um, how I viewed myself and um, what I and really understanding what it is that I offer as a physician to my patients and the value I bring and um, really working deeply on the what I was bringing to each relationship with each patient. And I'm now sort of thinking more globally about how I run my practice. Um, you know, what do I delegate to my staff members and what don't I, you know, um, how do I structure my schedule? How, um, what, what kind of services do I offer, um, within my practice? And next week, actually, um, though it will have already happened by the time this podcast comes out, um, I'm taking another big step in this direction of really, um, creating an empowered patient practice, which is I'm hosting a virtual town hall for my patients. Um, I'm hopeful, um, to release some clips of that, um, on my social media. And so maybe you'll have already seen it by the time this podcast comes out. But, um, I, I want to do this town hall because I want to create more direct lines of communication between me and my patients and my patients back with me with the idea that, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the healthcare system is really in a rough state. That is my you know, objective assessment, I guess it's a subjective assessment of how bad things are. I mean, there's all sorts of stories about, you know, no room in emergency rooms and um, things are starting to be, where I work in Ontario, Canada, they're starting to shuffle things around again. A lot of kids are getting sick now and um, it means there's not enough, you know, doctors and staff, especially nurses to take care of the sick kids. And that's never a great problem to not have enough people to take care of our children. So, you know, there's all these external factors that you could just turn off and feel so helpless about, but I just have an ethos now of being determined to never feel helpless um, because helpless is a feeling. And so I can choose not to think thoughts that allow me to feel helpless. Instead, I can say, what can I do? And so one thing I think that I can do is continue to care for my 1,100 patients, my segment of this healthcare system, and um, 
So some of what I want to talk about on the town hall is like um, offering practical tips and advice and support and creating a dialogue with my patients who are parents on how can I best support you when it feels like things are kind of falling off the rails, when you're really anxious and afraid for your kids, how can I help support you with that? So, um, yeah, so just to sort of describe how I, how I perceive my practice now versus how I perceived it before, like a lot of it probably from the outside looks the same. So I still work, um, three full days a week. That's like, you know, I have three full days of clinic time that I offer to my patients. Um, that is not the only amount of time I work though, of course, like on my other two days I do, um, clinical work that's not patient facing like paperwork in the end as well as a lot of my system change leadership work and then of course this new coaching and education work that I do so certainly I work full-time in all of those roles um in my clinic you know I uh one thing that's true comparing to over a year ago versus now is I actually see more patients like I have shorter appointments and see and I'm able to see more patients per day than I was a year ago in part because of my time management and mind management and emotional management work that I've done on myself. So I've found ways to be more efficient on my end of things and say um, how quickly I chart and um, how I process my inbox. And I've also become more um, deft and efficient in each patient encounter in um, really cleaning up my side of what's happening in that clinical room. So instead of bringing a bunch of my own agendas and my own emotional stuff, I'm able to hold a cleaner space for them to share their problem with me. And uh, then I let them know what I can and can't help them with. I am uh, better at staying on time. Um, uh, and so through that process, then I'm able to see more people. Um, I'm noticing more and more that patients are 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 having uh, more powerful results. Not every single patient, it looks the same, but I'm just noticing the wins that I'm seeing, especially my patients. Like I have, you know, a crew of patients that I see about monthly and um, a lot of them are mental health, other kind of chronic symptoms as well, like chronic pain and other chronic symptoms that, you know, um, we, we haven't found the very fast solution that we found for say strep throat in a, in a pill that makes it go away. Um, and I'm noticing that as I'm shifting my approach to them and in, in taking on a more empowering and coaching style approach with them, they are coming to me and saying that they're seeing um, improvements and changes in their life that are just so, so exciting. Um, and so as a result, you know, I am managing my emotional and mental experience and that's so powerful. I'm managing outwardly both like my time as well as like how I, how I speak and work with my team in ways that feel better to me. And with each patient, I am offering them like a slightly different and sometimes a radically different approach in terms of um, how I speak with them, how, you know, what I'm doing when we get to say the management plan. Um, I'm no longer telling them this is what you have to do, but it's really a co-creation of a management plan. And as a result, so I, I literally have more time for myself doing all of this. Like I have my evenings to myself to do what I want. I, I am taking on other exciting projects like, you know, doing this podcast and everything as a result. Um, so like I've literally created more time for myself in this process. Um, 
I have such deeper joy and satisfaction every single day with my patients. I feel like genuine like love and care for my patients at a much higher frequency than I used to. Um, and the patients didn't change. I changed, you know, I, I shifted my approach. I shifted my intentions and I, and I learned how to process and manage my own mental blocks and my own emotional, um, build up. And as a result, I was no longer like projecting things onto them that left me feeling exhausted and drained and resentful. That's been huge. I like really like my patients, including like the ones that I found super challenging before. I'm still a human and I still have sort of the old echoes of patterns that make parts of those encounters still more charged. Um, but I know that it is my work to continue to uh, take on each of those small hiccups as they come up in the room with a patient. So if I'm feeling like, that resentment coming back up or that defensiveness coming back up, I now know what's going on and that it's not about the patient, but it's about me. And as a result, I view it as this invitation to just like continue to get to know myself better. And my, I feel grateful actually to my patient for the opportunity of, you know, teaching me, not consciously, but teaching me a, a, a way to deepen my capacity to love and care for myself and others. Um, I still experience all the negative emotions or negative is, I don't even believe that it's negative anymore. The uncomfortable emotions, I still feel anxiety, feel, still feel shame. I still feel all the things, but it's genuinely less than it used to be. Um, and when I feel them, I no longer think of them as negative, <laughs> you know, like I'll go, you know, I'll go through a stormy cloud of a, a rougher day and I'll be like, oh, here I am. This is hard again. What's going on? And then, you know, eventually the awareness will come back and I'm like, right, what's going on is there's some inhuman story that I'm getting stuck on. You know, I sit down, I do some reflection or I get some coaching from a coach or, you know, whatever. And I, and I unpack it and I'm like, right, all that's happened is I've been telling myself a story that's causing emotions that feel yucky. I know how to listen to my emotions and my body. I know how to question and reframe the stories I'm telling myself. I can reclaim the meaning of this past day. It doesn't have to just be a bad day forever. You know, so I have all these skills now that really allow me to enjoy my job in, in a way that I never even knew was possible. Um, and it includes really like, creating the kind of medicine that I want to practice, creating the kind of medicine that I want to practice that's in line with my values and what I'm learning and, and what I'm unpacking. Like over the past few weeks on the podcast, you've heard a couple really major shifts that I've learned about in terms of ways I can speak to my patient about chronic pain, ways I can speak to my patient about weight and some of the stigma and false messages we've that I've learned in my training about those topics. And it goes beyond that, like ways that I was taught to think about emotions and that I needed to fix my own emotions and the emotions of my patients. And that the only option was medication or whatever. I, I've changed so much of my understanding and I've learned so much about those. And because I've done the work myself, I don't feel stuck in the dogma of what I was taught originally. I am able to evolve what I've learned build on it, let go of what just never resonated to me, um, and really focus on creating how I'm practicing medicine and not 
I have the edges of feeling like, oh, am I going to get in trouble? Does oh, this mean I'm, you know, not providing standard of care or something? But when I look at it, I just know that that's not true. I know that at, at the core, I'm still assessing my patients, considering what may be going on in their bodies and their brains, offering them a variety of managements, including all of the things I was trained to do, like medication and whatever, um, but as well as offering them insights into their own body, their own mind, and empowering them to come up with their own best management plan. That last piece is so huge. The the relief I have of no longer feeling like it's my responsibility to make my patients well. I just want to like do a deep sigh thinking about that. I had so much shame about that before. I would, you know, get my, we get these like practice reports that I think are like well-intended where it's like, hey, here's your, it's like the government gives us this report that's like, here's your anonymized patient data that shows you very interesting things like the age distribution of my practice and their socioeconomic status, like really interesting things. But then it's also like, here's the percentage of your patients who are on chronic pain medication. Here's the percentage of your patients whose diabetes um, numbers are above the threshold. And I used to use that kind of information to just like, as evidence that I was a terrible doctor. But like, I don't have control over people's hemoglobin A1Cs. I think it's just really important to name that and like, releasing that, knowing that's information about someone's diabetes that is useful information to start a conversation with them and explore what their goals are for themselves. Understanding that if I am there as a coach and support and cheerleader for their goals, help them maybe, you know, see past a couple barriers so that they can take different action in their own life, eventually, probably the A1C will come down. And even if the A1C never comes down, but they are taking action in terms of health behaviors that feel good for their body, they've found ways to feel less stressed, they found ways to seek deeper connection with their loved ones, that matters more. That matters more to me, That, in part because it matters more to them. And, in, and I think actually the science shows that that matters more even to their general health. Someone's A1C can be perfect, but they're stressed out of their minds and they never move their body and they hate their life and they're super lonely. And like all of those things, there are studies showing that those are poor health outcomes too, right? <laughs> and, and at the end of the day, what if there are, my actual goal for each of my patients is to offer them avenues in which they can feel good about the life they live as long as they live it? You know, that is such a I just love that as an intention of what I want to offer to my patients so much more than feeling like I have to tell them, you're not healthy, you don't have a good enough blood pressure, you know, and and just offering these like guilt and shame-based messages that, you know, listen, if you're offering, this is how we were trained, we're supposed to be like the principal and they're the student, we're supposed to wag our finger at them and say, take better care of your health. And they go, okay, I'm sorry. Are you mad at me this month? Like, no, thank you. Not anymore for me. Not for me. I don't want that role anymore. I don't, I don't think it is effective. I mean, I think the, the science of like psychological 
behavior change shows that it's not effective to like be the principal for your patients. Um, no offense to principles. I'm using like a character, char- you know, caricature of principles. I don't know why a principal would be listening to this, but I, I think you know what I mean. Like the whole, the old like paternalistic way of thinking of like, I know the answers because I'm the doctor, you're the patient, you listen to me, I, I know everything and you know nothing. Um, I just don't want to do that, that anymore. And I feel like there was this other sneakily still paternalistic way that especially if you're socialized female and, and and you have a lot of like the baggage of like codependency people pleasing stuff where it's like so patient-centered that you just do whatever your patient says they they're like I just want you to order me these tests I just want you to do these things for me and now you're like serving the patient as if they are the boss and you are you know the employee um and uh I think that that dynamic is still not not equal in the room, right? When really, yes, I have some of I do have um, sort of institutional power. I have I am the gateway um, through which they can access tasks that they couldn't otherwise, and so there's it's important to acknowledge the power I have in the room, and it's really important to acknowledge to myself and them the power they have in the room. And actually, that I think is the key. When I talk about having an empowered patient practice, it's me owning my power, first of all, as like a human being who always gets to say yes or no, as someone who has tons of training and knowledge and like really valuing that for myself, even if a certain patient isn't interested in the knowledge I have to share, I can still knowledge and own that as power I have for myself. All my skills, all my experience, that is mine to own and embody as well as that institutional power that I was talking about and being very mindful of it and using it with care and precision of when I pull out the, listen, I'm the doctor, you know, I'm not going to prescribe you this or else it would, it's like against the ethics of medicine, you know, like when I pull that out or not. And all of that is actually on my side of the room for me to own. Meanwhile, on the patient's side, it is part of my job to offer back to them and acknowledge really that I never had control over the things that they own in terms of their power. So they they have always and will always be fully the one who has the power to make to make change in their life in the sense that no one else can take different actions for them. They are also the one with all the power of their lived experience, including like a lot of times like knowledge and skills as well about them personally or about their context, their culture, their workplace. Like a classic example of this is um, someone's been off of work and they're, they're returning to work. I used to feel so much guilt and pressure that I didn't know, like I would try and guess like a good plan for them to return to work, but I've like literally never worked their job. I have no idea really what would be best for them in terms of how they return to work. So now it is, I ask them, I'm like, patient, my beloved, my beloved patient, considering the job you do and considering how your body feels now, tell me what you think would make sense for you so that you can kind of, do you think it would make more sense to gradually return? Does it make more sense for your job to do it, you know, graduated by hours or graduated by duties or a combination. And we have a conversation about it because they are the content experts about their job, period. I am not, they are, right? And it's such a relief to just like actually consult them 
as the contact expert of that and not feel like I'm supposed to know the answers. How the heck would I know the answers to that, right? And same with, you know, I, I really think, you know, I'm offering in terms of any management plan, there's all this like pressure of guidelines. I'm going to use the diabetes example again, because it gets my goat. Cause you know, there's a whole thing about diabetes guidelines. So it's like guidelines say they're supposed to be on the three different kinds of medication and this is their targets and all this stuff. Right. Meanwhile, real world, this is a human being who has a whole life and they have beliefs and values. They, one of their beliefs and values may be, I never want to take medication. And so if it's a never, it's a never. We can explore the reasons why. We can talk about how this belief could get in the way of other goals. For example, you know, how they view your their health, how they view their life. Is, is this something that, you know, okay, I hear you saying, if I take no medications and my illness, my diabetes continues on this course, it will, it is a high chance of really significantly shortening my life. Okay, maybe I will take one medicine, which medicine feels like it's the highest impact. Or, you know, another person's like, um, I want to be on all the medications, I want to make sure I'm on every single, I will take every single pill to completely lower my risk of anything happening to me. And, I, and I'll listen to that too, right? Like, and though I would have completely different approaches for those two patients. And that would be correct, in my opinion. That would That is how I have empowered patient practice because they know I am not doing like the same cookie cutter stamp for each person. They know I have heard them. I know them. I understand them. And the things I don't know or understand, they can tell me and I will learn more over time about them, you know, and through that process, they get the care they need for their particular self. Um, I am dreaming of how I can take this further, like this town hall I'm doing, you know, I want to ask them questions like, I know that access to appointments is still a struggle because there's so much going on. Like, what do you guys think about group appointments? Would you be interested in that? Do you have other ideas of how you could access my care? And I get to say yes or no to those ideas, of course. I want to ask them, I'm not sure I'm going to do it this town hall or not, but I really want to ask them as well as my staff and kind of everyone, like a better way to do forms and and flow forms through an office. This may be really inside baseball <laughs> if you don't have to do forms as a part of your work, but there's, there's certain chunks of the work that I think all of us do where we're kind of like, this feels like I'm spending more time then I'm offering value. Is there a way we could get streamlined about this? So the person gets the checkbox they need, but it's not taking up all these resources and forms like, you know, disability forms, that kind of thing is one of those areas where I'm like, is this the highest, best use of my time? I, I know it's important. It's a, a way I can off, you know, I can uh, be a facilitator for patients to get um, income they need when they can't work. But like, versus my skills as actually assessing and treating. I'm just curious if there's a way to do it where I'm delegating more. And so that's something I'm evolving in my practice. And one of the places I'm going to ask is my patients, what would you be willing to do to get your forms back faster, right? Would you be willing to do more work in this way or that way? Would you be willing to not see me, but me say one of my staff members who may have more time to do a more thorough job asking you the questions that are needed for this form? Would you be willing to do those things? You know, and, and asking it in that way where then it's like a dialogue. So these are some of the things that I'm up to in my practice. This is the kind of work I want to do. I, I'm really dreaming of ways where like there could be some day where like, 
really patients genuinely get the care they need when they need it. They get care that they want that I'm able to offer them and they understand and have an open dialogue with me. If I am saying no, they want me to do something and I'm saying no, and they're allowed to have all their feelings about it. I'm not saying all my patients are going to be in love with me because they're all humans with their own brains, right? Like that's not what's on the menu as a possibility, but I think if I'm offering a consistent message of respect and empowerment to them, I think that changes the way my hypothesis and what's been apparent to me so far is it, it is already changing the way that patients respond to me back. And I think that is so powerful to know. So yeah, I think, is that all I want to say? I think that's sort of my, I just wanted to share what's happening in my, in my world. Cause I talk a lot about, well, I talk a lot about personal stories, of course, but like I talk a lot, I, so far I've talked a lot about sort of themes of, of what can apply to anyone, but I, I wanted to show you some of what is possible. Um, and when you apply a lot of the concepts that I've been talking on the podcast and a lot of the concepts that I cover in my coaching and in in my workshops, if you apply them to your life, you can end up creating, you know, customizing your work and healthcare. I think that's true. You say you have a job where you're employed by someone else and they have like a job description for you. And you may think, okay, well, this doesn't apply because someone else has told me how to spend my time. Like even just double check those sort of assumptions. Cause like, especially in healthcare, but I think in a lot of jobs, like if you're getting the work done, how you get the work done can have a lot more flexibility, right? Some workplaces are really rigid, but say for example, like my staff, say my, one of my nurses or my manager or my front staff, if they came to me and it's like, okay, you need us to get this work done every day. We've thought of a new way where we could do it. Well, that'll leave us, you know, more time for other things. I'd be like, yes, that's amazing. Like, I don't need them to be like, you must, you know, do this job from 10 a.m. to 10.30. No, like it's the work, it's about the work we have to do, not how we do it. And so a lot of what I am considering now is rethinking how, what is the work that is mine to do and how I do it, you know? And so, and one core piece of that has been shifting my relationship with my patients, offering them back what was never mine to own, their feelings, their thoughts, their thoughts about me, their thoughts about the healthcare system, their expectations, and certainly their actions and their results were never mine to own. I never could own them. They were in their bodies. It's them being their human being selves. And now my relationship with them is so much clearer and I can just choose what I want to think about each of them. And I usually choose love and care and curiosity and then, and just like interest in hearing about their story and even if they're really upset directed at me because I'm not giving them what they're hoping for, I can still have so much love and care. As I say, like, I know it, it's really hard when you don't get what you want. And I wish this was something that I could give you in a way that was in line with my values. Or like, I wish I could give this to you. It's literally not possible. Like whatever reason I'm saying no to it, I'm able to hold that so much cleaner and still care for them and still find things I like about them because I have done my work about it. So yeah, that's where I'm at. 
And by the way, that's the reason that this fall I've been focusing my group coaching on transforming my relationships with patients. It's because it's been the deepest work that I've been doing this past year. So I feel good about sharing it with all of you. And if you're just finding me or you've been listening to the podcast, but you haven't come to any of my workshops or anything yet, um, this next one that's coming up, November 17th, uh, 2022. So that's, if you're listening after that date, I am sorry you've missed it. Check out what I'm offering now. It'll be something. Um, but it's all about, um, empowering reluctant patients is the way I said it, but really it's about empowering all of our patients. And a lot of what I've talked about here, I'm going to talk about in a workshop format where the whole hour is to invite you to reflect on, you know, your current relationship now and, and review some of the reasons why it feels hard to empower your patients now because of our social conditioning and the inhuman stories we've been taught that we're supposed to be in charge of people's feelings, thoughts, and actions. And then getting really practical about like the practical ways, some of the scripts I use, some of like the frameworks I think about going into my encounters that allow me to hold a clean space is one of the ways I put it. Like just like where I get to have an open mind and open listening so that I'm able to empower my patients. It's a specific skill set. It's something you can learn. It's not like a personality thing. Like I literally didn't have this a year and a half ago. I had elements of it because as humans, we all have elements of compassion and care and listening, but it's so much easier to listen, question, respond, and, and share that power and co-create healthcare with my patients because of these specific skills that I've learned. And I would love to teach them to you. So if it's before, if it's, even if it is November 17th, as long as it's before 8 PM Eastern time, please come. I would love to have you there. And, um, and then afterwards, if you're starting to see those results in your patients, I would love to hear what's been shifting in your practice now that you're shifting your relationship with your patients. That's it for me this week. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. I would love to hear from you. Please share your human moments in medicine with me on Instagram at joanchanmd or on my website, joanchanmd.com. On my website, you can also find other restorative medical education offerings I have, including one-on-one coaching opportunities and skill-building workshops. I look forward to connecting with you there. Thank you.